Welcome back, Kofkin Bond listeners. We're here with the episode Skills for Life, a podcast where we will explore science-backed strategies and skills to improve your mental health and well-being. Tony will host our incredible guest today, Dr. Lillian Najard, a clinical psychologist and author who brings 25 years of experience in the field of mental health. With a diverse background working in the public mental health services, universities, private practices, and community and corporate organisations, Dr. Lillian has dedicated her career to helping adults reduce anxiety, manage stress, and build a life worth living. Recognising the barriers many face in accessing psychological support, Dr. Lillian's founded Skills for Life to provide easy access to science-based skills and strategies. Through mental health and wellbeing courses, workshops and coaching, she empowers individuals to improve their quality of life both at home and at work. But Dr. Lillian's contributions don't stop there. She's also an accomplished author with several books to her name, including Treating Stress and Anxiety, A Practitioner's Guide to Evidence-Based Approaches, a valuable resource for mental health professionals. Her other works, such as Relaxation, Techniques to Induce Anxiety and Stress, enhanced well-being and life blockers the sleep edition they all offer practical solutions mindfulness exercises to overcome insomnia and promote relaxation in addition to her written works dr lillian has recently launched the app contain your brain designed to help individuals worry less and live more this innovative tool developed in collaboration with digital design expert brendan canizaro apply psychological strategies backed by science to enhance well-being and reduce anxiety. Dr. Lillian is no stranger to the media, uh, media world as a residential psychologist on SEN Plus, the radio show. She has shared her expertise in mental health skills with Australians and UK listeners. She's also been a guest on various podcasts, including our own today, but she's also been seen on The You Project and Catching Up With Cub, where she dives into deep topics surrounding mental health and personal development. Beyond her professional achievements, Dr. Lillian embraces her personal passions. With the love for arts and entertainment, she's an active member of the Antipodes Theatre Company Advisory Board in Melbourne. She also finds joy in attending the theatre, capturing moments through photography and savouring the vibrant food and coffee culture in her adopted city. We're pri- privileged to have Dr Lillian on the show today, sharing her knowledge, expertise and contagious enthusiasm for improving mental health and overall wellbeing. So without any further ado, let's dive into this captivating conversation filled with practical insights and strategies to help build resilience, reduce stress and find balance in your life. Hi, Lillian. Welcome to Kofkin Bond. Thank you very much, Tony. It's great to be here. No, it's great. And it's great to have you as a guest. And just as a bit of background, we met at um, a group that we're both members of, uh, Club United Businesses, or commonly known as CUB. And I'm a newer member, but I have to admit it's it's been inspirational, some of the uh, great people that I've met, people like yourself. And, and you know, you now coming on as a guest of ours. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. And I agree. I've, I've been there for about three years, actually, and I can't believe how fast time has gone. But uh, everyone that I've met has been so kind and generous with their knowledge and their skills. So it's been a great place for me to be. Oh, it's just magnificent having so many. I The first session I went to was actually a dad's round table. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, I fibbed. The first session I went to was a mergers and acquisitions one, which is a pet love of mine. Uh, but the second one I went to was a dad's round table and Jamie came, uh, he was only a four week old. I think, uh, young Parker was only about four weeks old when you first about, came. About that. Yeah. yeah and, <laughs> Hi, uh, Jamie. So, yeah, so, <laughs> so we had, we had two, compl- yeah, there was, there was, it was interesting because one of the dads there, he had a 40 year old. I thought I would have the oldest kids being 27 and 24, but, that was that was inspirational because there's a whole bunch of people from completely different backgrounds, completely different industries, and all have the same joys, the same worries, the same concerns. It was yeah. and and all being able to sort of talk very openly in a very safe space, which is your area, you know, of what you do and what you help people actually do too. I I was I just walked away from that thinking it was magnificent. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, what a great group of people to be. And, you know, the fact that everyone did feel so safe just to to say what they needed to say and to open up 
how they were feeling and thinking and how parenthood, you know, yeah. is affecting them and how that impacts on their ability to do their, you know, their business, whatever that might be. It's, it's really, it's so helpful to have that support around you in so yeah. many different ways. Now, during your career, because uh, we'll touch on exactly what you do, but as a clinical psychologist, one of the things, and this is going back to that dad's group just as an example, is men have historically found it very hard to open up uh, with anyone, never mind a group of other men. Uh, you know, I've found that women might are able to sort of open up with their girlfriends at least um, a lot better than what actually men are. Uh, is is that fair to say? You know, have you seen the change over the decades? You know, of your career as well. I actually have. I've probably I've, I've been working as a clinical psychologist for 25 years, and then of course was studying and doing placements prior to that. So I've I've been kind of in the industry for about 30 years, and I and I have definitely seen the change over time. Um, definitely having more men contact me for help. So that's just the frequency um, of men coming is more now than it ever was. And just the willingness to learn a different way of being and behaving and thinking and feeling. Um, it has really changed over time and not just with the younger generation, because I do think definitely the younger generation is more well equipped to talk about what's going on for them and to talk about their feelings um, and that's coming a lot through parenting and also through schools. Like my, my children are 14 and 16 now. And in primary school, they were learning how to, you know, regulate their emotions. And they were learning the basics about stress reduction and mindfulness and things like that. So they're much further along than we were, you know, when we were younger. But what I'm also seeing is that, you know, men and women, but when we're talking about men, um, in their 50s, 60s, 70s coming through. And, and what's also amazing is that it doesn't actually take a lot for them to get some benefit. Like sometimes it's, they'll have an aha moment in the first 10 minutes of a session because they just didn't realize, you know, or make the connections between how they were feeling and behaving and how that was might be connected to um, their experiences or that the way they think. And it just takes like one or two or three of those aha moments for that change to really start and for them to see a difference in their well-being. So it's really, it's really great to see. There, there is, I mean, a, a lot, a, our listeners will know because I've spoken quite openly uh, about myself that I'm very much in, reg in regards to mindfulness and, and, you know, looking after my brain, especially my father for the last six years of his life, uh, having Alzheimer's disease. And I just saw how mm -hmm. the greatest storyteller that I'd ever known to have ever lived being my father, all his stories were taken away from him. And as soon as his stories were taken away from him, basically it was like his life was taken away from him as well. And, yeah. and the, and I believe without, um, you know, having any reason to just through my own observations that a lot of dad's health problems were actually brought on by stress. And my father was a person who internalized everything. I always, mm -hmm. I always knew my father was upset by me, not because he yelled at me or, you know, or spanked me or anything like that, because they were of the generation, uh, where a kid could get a good hiding on the backside. Um, but, he would just not talk to me, and mm -hmm. that that devastated me when my dad wouldn't talk to me. I knew I, was, I knew I'd done something wrong. Uh, well, I usually knew exactly what I'd done wrong too, but it was, <laughs> it was just more the fact of that. So, it is interesting how I think you know when you're not coping with these things or you do internalize it, the actual physical medical problems that can actually occur as well, not just Absolutely. the emotional. Yeah, and you know, our as humans. Our instinct is to avoid when we're faced with challenges, with stress, with anxiety. So silence is just another form of avoidance. Um, and there's so many there's so many behaviors that we do that are yeah. avoidance based. You know, we might decide not to go somewhere. We might leave somewhere early or we might choose not to speak up about something or we might drink or use other substances to escape feelings and thoughts. And. 
avoidance is really only helpful if you're faced with actual threat or danger. It's rarely helpful for any other reason. Yeah. But it's our instinct because we, when we get stressed and anxious, we have that fight or flight response and fighting isn't, you know, particularly helpful or appropriate. So we choose to flee and it's effective. The problem is that it's effective in the short term and that's, so we, we get relief from it pretty quickly. And so we're like, oh, that worked. And yeah. so we, so we keep doing it because it provided that immediate relief without realizing that what's happening, happening over time is that you haven't solved anything and it's an unhealthy coping behavior and it actually increases the distress over time rather than decreases it. So that silence, for instance, that you were saying, you know, it, it, it festers, you know, within you, you know, that, that anger or the resentment or the disappointment or the sadness or the frustration or whatever emotions that silence was trying to manage. It's still in your body and it's going to express itself in some way. And it won't be a way that you like and it won't be a way that's particularly healthy or helpful. So it's, it is really important to learn skills that help you approach challenges, approach distress, approach your thoughts, um, and, and learn to do that as kind of your go-to rather than what, what your urge is, which is to just run away and hide. Yeah. And, and, and that is, you know, it's sometimes, you know, when you're growing up and in school and you're a kid in school and if you're a kid that was being bullied, sometimes going and hiding in the library was your, was your way of coping or not actually being bullied yes. and things like that as well. So there, there is that saying, and I don't know if I'm, this is, if I'm saying that accurately or, accurately or not, but you now show me the child at seven and I'll show you the adult. Uh, but it does seem to be though that, because I know personally for myself through my own mindfulness practices, uh, that you can actually change your thought processes. You, you don't have to necessarily hold on to past traumas or traumas that you had as a child, uh, or even traumas that have been passed down through your parents. You can actually change your thought process and patterns and the way you actually behave in life through good practice, mindfulness and seeking help. That's right. And I think, um, with, with trauma, I, a lot of the people that I've seen over my career have experienced trauma in their past. Uh, and one of the most effective ways of treating trauma is called exposure therapy. So again, what we tend to do when we've experienced these terrible, you know, things in the past is that we try to push it away, to forget, to not you know, remind, be reminded. Um, and what actually needs to happen is again, that kind of approach, um, strategy, which is talking about it, exposing yourself to it again in a safe way, right? Not, you know, like, um, that's uh, the part of the treatment is to figure out what's the best and safest way for the person to do that. And there's lots of different methods of doing that. So it wouldn't be the same for everybody. But again, it is really about how can we accept what's actually happened? How can we integrate that, you know, um, healthily, um, often by uh, talking about it or exposing ourselves to it to some degree and and not use avoidance as the main strategy, because ultimately it's it's not helpful and it just extends and maintains the problems. And sometimes those avoidance strategies can actually be substance abuse. Absolutely. Uh, you know, drug, drug, drug abuse, alcoholism, etc. Yes. Um, a, a lot of the, you know, the, and I do a lot of work with charities and uh, with our own charitable foundation and just by sitting on the board, one in particular carry on, which supports uh, homeless veterans. And you see the, the PTSD that they're suffering from. They're, you know, staunch majority of them are, you know, staunch strong men who've never been shown. You don't, you don't show your emotions. You're in the military and you come out of that and they're not actually getting that help and they actually do marriages break down and you see substance abuse and it, it's just, it is just this chronic spiral of being out of control because they won't open up. 
That's right. And it, it's really important for people to understand that treatment is out there and it's actually really effective. Um, and I've, you know, I'm in a privileged position having been part of the change process for so many people. And it's helped me personally to be able to see people who are who have experienced. You know, some of the more her, most horrible things in their lives um, and who have very little resources, who have very few supports um, and who might have multiple issues. So really complex um, issues, but that they can change and they do and they do build a, a life that's worth living. And it's it's really about having the right supports, um, being willing to accept help and learning the skills that are actually going to help you kind of manage your feelings and thoughts and behaviors in a healthy and effective way, not just in an effective way, yeah. but in a healthy and effective way. Um, and also believing that you can change. I think that there is sometimes that belief, especially when you're older, you know, oh, I've been yeah. like this forever. This is just the way I am. This is just my personality. My God, you know, you've met my mom. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm not going to change. So, but, but that's not true. Like, I, you, I, you don't know how many times my mom has said to me, I'm 84. I can't change. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, you yeah. know, you sh- she doesn't want to. That's what she actually right. said. She doesn't yeah. want to. Yeah. And that's fine. You know, you don't have to if you don't want to. But if oh, you do a, she's want a, she's to. A, she's a great person. So, so. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. I, I hear the same from my family members as well. So I can completely relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. My parents are in their 70s and 80s, and I've heard similar things from them. Yeah. It's probably generational as well, this idea that we're just – we are who we are, and that's it, and people don't change. But it's, you know, if you really think about um, life and the universe, one of the one of the main facts of life is that everything changes. Everything changes all the time. So, of course, you can. But you're the only thing in the universe that can change. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So, but also, yeah. but also too, having the mindset to start with that you can, and you just reminded me of a, a charity that we uh, support over in Perth called Shalom House, and they actually do a lot of – well, their their whole work is, is – Getting people who are addicts, you know, whether it be alcohol, drugs, etc., to get to actually reunite with their family and going back. But I think one of the and their success rate is just through the roof. It is amazing the work that they actually do, and it's is founded and led by a former dealer and bikey and addict himself. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's uh, and he, you know, for him he found God and he went uh, down that path. And what was he, he his purpose? He found in life was when he got off the drugs was to help everyone else get off the drugs. But it was interesting, though, that the people that go there, no one's forced to go there, and you can mm-hmm. leave at any time. So it's not, okay, you're going to avoid jail if you go and do this uh, right. detox program. It's uh, Everyone's there actually wants to be there because they've already made up in their mind that they don't want to be this person that they've actually become, but mm-hmm. they now just need that help in getting over that. And for some people, it might be a few months. For other people, it might be, you know, 12 months. It could be two years. But he gets some employment. He gets them to pay off all their debt. It's, it's just sensational, the work he does. But they've already made up their mind that they don't want to keep living life like this. That's fantastic that there's a place like that um, where you can go in that community, you know, if you need help and that it's fully voluntary. Yeah. Um, I think that's and holistic, it sounds like, too. It's not just about... Oh, yes. You there's know, like, there's yeah. no drugs. He doesn't put you on medication when you're mm-hmm. detoxing. You just have to get through it. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're not allowed to smoke there. You're not allowed to touch alcohol. Even if you weren't an alcoholic, you're just drugs. He's, he's basically saying, we're getting you back on track. So if you want to do this, it'll be hard, but uh, we'll support you all the way through and help you all the way through. So it's interesting. But that sort of leads me into you do actually have um, you know some courses that you help people with as well, self-mastery as well. So sometimes it's a case of someone might say, well, I don't think I'm messed up enough to see a psychologist. <laughs> uh, so it's, um, you know, so I'm not, I'm not at that breaking point yet, but they know the areas of their lives that, that they would actually like to improve. So can we, can we talk about, say, there's, there's four in particular ones I've, I've noted down here that I'd like to uh, get 
some yeah, feedback from you on, but one of them, mm. uh, coping with anxiety and challenging times. Yes. No, we went, so, we went through COVID, so that was, that was two yeah. and a half years of challenging times, and I'm, I'm it being was. a little bit more polite than what I would, than what I might have said otherwise. So, but, <laughs> but, you know, coping with anxiety and challenging times. Well, the fact is, we're all going to go through challenging times at, at some point in our lives, and many of us are going through them right now with everything that's going on and the financial stress that everyone's under. Um, and certainly we went through two to three years of extremely challenging times where we live and obviously across the world as well. I, I did develop that course during the COVID period. Um, it wasn't about COVID, but it was, you know, in light of as well, just knowing that people were going through challenges and they it would be helpful for people to have access to skills to help them manage through that period. Um, but certainly it's for any, anyone who experiences any challenges or knows, you know, we all know that we're going to experience challenges in life. So the course is essentially helping people really understand distress. So it focuses on anxiety as the, the main distressing emotion, but it kind of applies to any form of distress, whether it's sadness or frustration or anger, um, or anxiety. And what it helps people to do is one, understand that all of our emotions serve a purpose and there's no such thing as a bad or negative emotion because they all serve a useful function. So really one is to get an understanding of what are the functions of emotions and how, for instance, does anxiety help us in life? Like why do we have this response and how is it helpful and why do we not want to get rid of it? You know, because people are doing the course to get rid of their stress and anxiety. But I think the first thing is to kind of dispel the myth that you want to do that. You don't want to do that, actually. You need anxiety to survive and you need to know why it's there and what the purpose is. Once you kind of understand that, you're less likely to kind of struggle against it all the time. I think part of the, the, the suffering and the pain that comes from experiencing distress is that we're constantly struggling against it. And we're because of that, we want to avoid it, get rid of it, deny it, you know, put our heads in the head in the sand and those kinds of things. Um, but if we were actually like, OK, I'm feeling anxious. Um, I think it's because of this situation that's happening right now. This is how I'm thinking. This is really what I want to do about it now. Is what I want to do and how I want to respond going to help me? Or is it going to make things worse? If you can ask yourself those questions, which is like mindfulness, right? You talked about mindfulness and, and meditation before. It's really like just being aware of like, this is how I feel. This is why I think I'm feeling this way. This is what it's um, leading me to think. This is how it's making me want to respond. Are these helpful ways of thinking and responding or not, and then making choices based on your answers to those questions. That's one of the main things that that you can do to help yourself when you're feeling stressed and anxious through challenging times is just to let yourself feel the feeling, observe what it's actually doing and what it's impacting, and then ask yourself the questions. What is this trying to communicate to me? Am I actually in danger or not? Well, that's why I was just actually going to ask you the question there because sometimes anxiety can help stop you making stupid decisions. Who anxiety knows? can do lots of great things. Like, you know, it actually you makes just, you think things through a little bit more yeah. at times as well rather than just rushing into something. That's right. So that's what it's there for, right? It's there to alert you to a threat or a problem so that you can do something about it. The problem is... Now, you know, it's so it's functional, but it can be dysfunctional, just like anything. Right. So the functional part is, oh, I see a threat and now I'm going to do something effective and healthy to deal with it. That's functional. Dysfunctional is I see a threat, but the threat's actually not a threat. Or I am having a very intense response to a threat that doesn't require that level of intensity or my threat reacts activity center is triggered all the time, like really frequently, um, or it lasts too long. 
So the threat's over, but I'm still feeling highly anxious. Right. So there's all of these ways that it can be dysfunctional as well. Um, and the other main ways which we have been talking about is it's making me want to avoid. It's making me want to isolate. It's making me want to drink. It's making me want to do, you know, all of these kinds of behaviors. Then it's dysfunctional. If it's yeah, making it's, you want to prepare, if it's making you want to keep yourself safe when there's an actual threat, functional. That's what it's supposed to do. So well, it's actually really, it's, yeah. I was going to say, it's actually a really good segue into the next thing as well, because if you are suffering anxiety and not dealing with it, uh, the next one is overcoming insomnia. If you're suffering anxiety and not dealing with it, you're gonna, you're going to wake up several times per night thinking mm-hmm. about that problem, that client, that issue, the, right. uh, because you actually haven't dealt with it prior. So, I mean, one of the things that I've done re- oh, probably about two years ago now, I got this whoop. And basically, you know, every every morning I can see how much REM sleep I've had, how much deep sleep, how much light sleep, how many times I've woken up. And I can actually, what I've been able to do is start to measure what have I done prior to going to bed that has actually helped me have a really good night's sleep rather than just being totally exhausted Mm -hmm. uh, because that actually doesn't always lead into a great night's sleep. Uh, But it's so actually having a look at patterns that help me. But if I, if you are anxious about something, you're not going to sleep well anyway. So can, can we chat about coping with, you know, insomnia, which I think everyone, everyone who's suffering some type of stress or anxiety in their life will suffer from. I agree. And I think that there is a lot of information out there about how to sleep better. Uh, and a lot of it, and it's all, you know, generally really good information, but sometimes the focus is on things like, um, Simple things like the environment, for instance, or, you know, the amount of light and whether it's cool and all of those things. But, you know, 90 percent of insomnia is caused by another issue or related to another issue. Um, and often that issue is anxiety, stress, worry. We've all had that experience of wanting to fall asleep and our mind is racing or thinking about what we have to do the next day or worried about, you know, something um, that we're stressed about, whether it's personal or or professional. And it's really important to have the skills to manage your thoughts and how your body feels so that you are able to fall asleep. And like you said, stay asleep, because what often happens to people as well is that they wake up in the middle of the night. Often it's three in the morning and their mind starts racing and it's really difficult to get back to sleep. So uh, I think that, yes, the environmental stuff's really important. Getting, a, you know, having a good routine, not having things like, you know, caffeine just before bed. And, you know, those those all make sense and are true. But it's really learning um, skills to reduce stress and anxiety that's probably going to have the most benefit. So one of the things that... um I think is helpful. There's probably two main things I would start with, maybe three. One is reducing your overall level of stress and anxiety in general is going to help with sleep in general. Um, so we can do that via relaxation techniques, um, breathing techniques, abdominal breathing can be really helpful. But the one of the main relaxation techniques can, that can be really useful is called progressive muscle relaxation. I don't know if you've heard of that before. Yeah. So progressive muscle relaxation is probably the most well-researched relaxation technique. Um, and what the idea is, is that it's it's reducing tension in your body. The idea that you can't feel tense and relaxed at the same time. So if you are able to induce the relaxation response, you'll release that tension. And if your body feels less tense, then your mind will follow. That's kind of the idea. And what it involves is systematically going through the different muscle groups in your body from usually from your your feet to your head or sometimes from your head to your toes and tensing them for 10 seconds, let's say. So if I ask you to squeeze your hands and ask you to squeeze them for 10 seconds and then release and then feel what it feels like to not have that tension in your muscles. So what it's actually teaching you is 
you know, through practice is how your body feels when it's tense and how it feels when it's relaxed. And the idea is to go from that 15 to 20 minute exercise to once you learn and practice this to just being able to say relax and just your your body will just release itself. So it's basically an excellent practice to start with to reduce your overall level of stress and anxiety. And you would do that during the day to do that. And then you can also use progressive muscle relaxation to induce sleep as well. So I think that's one of the the main things that you can do to relax your mind and body. I'd say the other thing is to learn how to deal with your worries more effectively. Um, Because what, again, we do is we try to avoid our thoughts. And then when it's quiet and you're in bed and there are no distractions, your brain's like, I can think now. (laughs) Jamie's laughing because that's, I know that's Jamie. (laughs) My favorite, my favorite thing that I used to do, I've got a lot better at it the older I've got, but I remember when I was young, it was like, you're in bed, you're trying to sleep, so you're thinking about how you're going to fall asleep, and then you're not falling asleep because you're thinking about how you're going to fall asleep. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. And that, exactly. So what can happen is you get frustrated with yourself. And then, of course, being frustrated doesn't induce sleep. (laughs) So you're just, you know, putting yourself in a vicious cycle. So one of the things that you can do is a strategy called worry time. I call it contain your brain because I think that's exactly what it does. It's basically setting aside time to worry during the day. That's a convenient time for you. Um, And if you have worries that occur during the day outside of your worry time, you just jot them down and you the old school ways, you drop, you know, jot them down pieces of paper, you stick them in a container, you decide that there's a specific place and a specific time that you're going to process that worry, then you stick to that time. Uh, and then you process your words during that time. The, I've d- recently developed an app called Contain Your Brain that helps you do that more easily if you don't like writing things down. A lot of people don't like writing things down on paper anymore and also security and privacy are actually, um, you know, issues these days. We don't want our personal thoughts laying on little pieces of paper all over the place. <laughs> so the app just gives people a really easy, safe, and secure way to jot down their thoughts and then a, a nice strategy to effectively address your worries and your worry time. But if you set aside worry time, let's say, for 15 or 30 minutes a day at, let's say, 5 to 5.30 p.m., it's much less likely then to start bugging you at bedtime because you've already dealt with it that day and if you haven't dealt with all your worries that day you know you have another time the next day that's set aside to deal with your worries Um, and the research on this is really interesting because when we try to stop ourselves worrying that doesn't work which is why we get so frustrated um, and they did this great, they did this great study where they asked people to just think about whatever they wanted for five minutes, but just don't think about a white bear. <laughs> and so what, what did they find? A big polar bear just went into my mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're, you're told to stop thinking about something. And what that actually does is it gets you to try to stop thinking about something, which in essence is having to think about the thing that you don't want to think about. So it doesn't work. And in fact, they found also that it creates a rebound effect later. So even if it works for a little, you know, a little while later on, it just comes back at you even stronger. Whereas the worry time strategy is not telling yourself to stop thinking. It's saying it's actually telling yourself to postpone it to a time that's more convenient to you. So just like you would you know, at work, create business meetings to, you know, that had an agenda to deal with the problems that you have for the day. It's, it's, it's the same thing, except the agenda is your worries and you're setting aside time to deal with those things in an effective way that basically leaves your mind free to do what it wants to do and focus on what it wants to focus on. Um, whether it's at home or or at work or anywhere in between. I've also found um, one of the things that helped me is, is the routine of going to, sl- going to bed roughly the same time every night and waking up roughly yeah. the same time every morning. But So that routine, but also the habits that I've learned when I do get a good night's sleep, do that prior 
And one of the things that I've actually done is, and it's like my brain is just used to doing this now, that um, I get to bed, I close my eyes, I lie on my right shoulder and I say in my, in my head, uh, sleep, sleep, sleep. I say three times. Uh-huh. And usually by the third time, I, I can't remember anything after that. So it's like that's my, okay, it's now time uh, to go to sleep. But But more importantly, though, Going to bed roughly the same time every night is actually just that consistency has actually been a really good help for me as well. That's uh, that's an excellent strategy. And uh, any sleep specialist um, who was talking to someone who had sleeping problems would say that that's one of the first things that you do is set your time for bed and wake up to be consistent because yeah, yeah you are trying to create a, a routine around sleep as much as possible, especially if you have trouble sleeping. Yeah, so Jamie is, knows that I don't necessarily have much trouble in sleeping. You know, we spent a 16-hour flight together <laughs> going to the U.S., and the moment I got on that plane, I closed my eyes. I only woke up for food, but I virtually slept for 16 hours. Yeah, what I couldn't believe, it was 10 a.m., and you'd already been asleep for the night and then fall straight back to sleep. And I was like, <laughs> you know, how, how is this possible? <laughs> That's funny. Well, yeah, it gets normal to have, a, a you know, trouble sleeping every once in a while. So, you know, if people do have that. Every every once in a blue moon, that's completely fine. And that can be for things that we're excited about just as much as we're worried about. Um, I had this and I know that that happened to you recently, Tony, but um, I had this situation where I was going to be on a radio show for the first time. I hadn't done podcasts ever and I'd never been SCN. on radio. It was on SEN. Very good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was because I had just published a book on insomnia and um I was I almost wanted to say no, you know, because, you know, my avoidance instinct went, no, I don't want to do that. And I was like, OK, well, I can't be a hypocrite. I actually have to approach things I'm <laughs> feeling anxious about. But what was funny was I couldn't sleep. Because I was excited slash anxious about the next day. And then I had to go in the next day and talk about insomnia, which I thought was hilarious. So I basically just said that. But, you know. <laughs> This is a book about insomnia, and I couldn't sleep because I was doing this show to tell you about this book on insomnia. But yeah, it can happen any can happen to the best of us. And I think part of um, you know when we have those times where it's happening, if you can just accept that you're probably not going to get the best night's sleep because you are feeling you know there is a special event that's occurring, or you are feeling a little bit hyped up for a particular reason, or you have a young child. And so you're, you know, a little puppy that's probably going to wake you up. Like sometimes there's just having acceptance around that and not struggling against it and not letting yourself get really frustrated can help you at least have a relaxed time in bed rather than a frustrated time. And that can be, you know, it's not as good as sleeping, but it can be more restorative you know, for and get you kind of ready to cope with the next day more than just, you know, tossing and turning and being really upset and angry with yourself. Yeah. Lily, you mentioned earlier you have launched a new app. Uh, it's called Contain Your Brain. Uh, now, when the, it says worry less and live more. Mm-hmm. So can you, can you actually tell us more about that? And the reason why I ask is for a period there uh, years ago, um, I was using Headspace. With, that was just for my meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I found for me transcendental meditation was better, some more silence uh, meditation rather than um, – but the you've, you know, launched this app. Um, tell, tell us what it's aimed at, how it helps people, uh, the people it's aimed towards in respect to helping and, and what it actually does. So if you can give us a bit of background on that, we will put a link to it in uh, for our listeners as well. Sure. Happy to. Um, it's based on the strategy that I was telling you about before called worry time, which was researched back in the 80s. In fact, the research group was put together to help with insomnia because they recognized that worry was one of the main factors that led to sleeping problems. Uh, and they found that setting aside that time and postponing worry rather than trying to stop it was going to be more effective. And so it's been around for a really long time, and it's a strategy that I've been imparting to my clients for, you know, the whole time that I've been a psychologist. But what I noticed over time was it was too cumbersome. It wasn't private enough. It was a little bit messy having to write little things down everywhere. Um, 
And that's why I came up with the idea for an app. But of course, I'm not in tech, so I didn't know if it was a good idea. <laughs> so I had actually, uh, funnily enough, had run a session for Cub about worry about a, a year prior to me having this idea. And one of the people who participated had come up to me about a month later and said, oh, my gosh, I really enjoyed your session and the worry time or the contain your brain strategy is really good. I'm using it all the time. And um, that was really great for me to hear, of course. And then a year later, I was talking to a client explaining the worry time strategy and then realizing there's just no way he's going to do it because it's just too messy, too difficult. This could be a good app. So uh, what came to my mind is who should I ask and it turned out that that person who had come up to me to say that he liked that strategy was a digital design expert. There you go. Yep. So I was like, even though I had really only met him that one time and he had participated in my session that, you know, over a year ago, I just called him and said, this is really random. <laughs> Remember me. <laughs> you, you liked this strategy and I've just had this idea. Do you think it's a good one? And he thought it was a good idea and offered to help me with the technical specifications to kind of get it off the ground. And after three months of just vol basically volunteering his time and energy um, with me developing those specifications, I recognized the importance of having him as a partner rather than, you know, someone who's just volunteering for me. And so Brent, his name's Brenton Canizaro. He's another Cub member. Um and we've just created this together and it's been really good because he also identifies himself as a worrier. So you, you have someone with lived experience, um, influencing the design of the app and someone who's an excellent designer. So the app looks amazing. It's really intuitive and easy and user friendly. Uh, and then you've got all the content and the clinical and the scientific kind of um, information and strategies that come from me. So what we, the app actually does is it helps you set aside your worry times. Um, it can give you notifications for when they are, but, and then it gives you a space to either write in or voice in your worries as they occur. And they, they're just saved there for you until you want to, until your worry time when you want to address them. It also allows you to highlight the important ones to you and prioritize them if you like. And then in your worry time, it gives you a very clear strategy on how to deal with them. So what we do is we get people to categorize their worries as solvable or unsolvable or solved. So solvable are the ones that you can do something about, the ones you have control over, the ones that you can particularly, you know, brainstorm about or, or try to find solutions. Um, unsolvable ones which is a lot of our worries, a lot of our worries, they might, some, some might be completely, you know, unrealistic and irrational. That might be a, a, some, but some might be things that you don't have control over. Like, like something might be done about them, but it's not up to you. Um, so those are some examples. Um, like for instance, there might be something at work that you're worried about, but you don't have any influence over that. So you can't actually do anything about it. Um, whereas other problems at work might be solvable ones that you actually can do something about. And then the solved category is the ones, and you'll be surprised to find out that probably 90% of them will be in this category. There's a lot of things we worry about that solve themselves by the time we get to our worry time. Or we've built them up as really big problems, but when they do actually happen, we've been able to cope with them okay, much better than we expected. So depending on the category you choose, you get specific tips to help you address them. So with the solvable ones, you get problem-solving tips. With the unsolvable ones, you get acceptance-based tips like mindfulness, for instance, um, or self-care or self-soothing, um, self-compassion, those types of things. And with solved ones, uh, the task is to reflect on all the worries that take up your mind that actually don't need to because they tend to solve themselves anyway, or you tend to cope much better than you had expected anyway. And so that practice really helps you be much more aware of what's going on in your mind. And also what it gives you kind of a, a, a helpful direction to go, depending on the type of worry that you have. And that, that's actually good because what it does is 
you, you're, you've actually, when you actually have got that worry and you're recording it or writing it down, um, you're actually acknowledging it. That's at right. That time. So having that acknowledgement, I think, is one of the key factors of understanding, okay, I've, I've acknowledged this, I know it's here. And I know for me in meditation, it's a case of, okay, I've acknowledged that I can now just move that aside. Or even if I was doing meditation and some thought pops into my head, it would say, okay, that's for another time. And I'd, mm-hmm. it's easy, it was easy to move aside. But so, but for people who have tried and might not have uh, worked for regarding meditation, uh, what are some of the tips that you can uh, talk about? I mean, in, in closing, but what are some of those tips that people could think about with mindfulness? Yeah, I think that um, people can sometimes be really skeptical about meditation and mindfulness, um, and they have different ideas about what that is and they don't know how to incorporate it easily into their lives so it can be something that's a little bit you know um and those are obstacles for them uh so for me i the way that i teach it and have been taught through the treatments that i provide is to apply mindfulness in a really practical way and separate it out from other practices so while transcendental meditation might be more about silent meditation it might be about carving out a quiet time and place to to do something for a certain period of time practical mindfulness approaches can be done for as long as you want wherever you want um, around anyone you want and you can still get the benefits and the way that it's defined is basically being present So um, noticing what's happening right now, whether that's stuff that's happening within you, like your thoughts and your feelings and your physical sensations or things that are happening outside of you, like the situation you're in, the circumstances, your environment, your interactions and being present on purpose and in a non-judgmental way and being willing to just let things happen as they happen rather than trying to affect change on them. And so. The way that I kind of tell people in terms of how it can help you, I think one of the main ways is that you get to know yourself better. You just become more aware of what's going on with you, how you think, how you feel, what your body feels like, and what's going on outside of you. Um, And you learn how to accept how reality actually is. So you stop focusing on what you wish it was, what you think it should be, and you and you're able to see reality and just the facts of what's actually going on. And that makes it much easier to make effective choices and decisions and have and 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 actions. So I think that that's the real purpose um, is to ultimately make better choices um, because you're more aware of what's going on with you outside of you and you you're willing to accept it as it is because if you don't accept it the reality as it actually is it's going to be really hard to, to make any changes and if you get bogged down in judging yourself for every experience you have that's distressing or unpleasant um, then you can't focus on making effective and healthy changes in your life either so I think that that's it and then we we really talk about starting really small with like a couple of minutes at a time um, starting with just focusing on your senses can be a really good place to start. So touch, taste, feel, sight, sound um, as a way of just learning to be present and focused on something and then to observe where your mind likes to go, even if it wanders off from what you're trying to focus on and bring your mind back in a non-judgmental, gentle way. And so it's not about being perfect, not about um it's not even about making yourself feel better. I think a lot of people think that that's what it's for. It can make you, you feel better, but the purpose isn't to feel better because sometimes when you're feeling distressed and you're being mindful of that, well, then you're being mindful of distress and you're just watching distress and how that's moving through. So you're not trying to affect change on it. It might change naturally by itself. But it might not. You might actually find that you're able to tolerate the distress 
better with mindfulness. In fact, that's why we use it, because it's so helpful with not only emotional pain, but physical pain in terms of our ability to tolerate it. So there's certainly lots of uses for it, and we can apply it really practically and integrate it in our lives much more easily than people think. Wonderful. Lillian, just to uh, close on that, I just want to sincerely thank you. But one of the things that have come out of this, and I hope it's come across for a lot of our listeners too and and actually listening to you, is that when you're speaking with people to help them through whatever they're going through, you're not judgmental at all towards them. And I think a lot of people sometimes might have fear of going and seeing a psychologist based on the fact that they're just going to judge me. And mm-hmm. But the, you've also given them uh, other tools to be able to go and do it by the, the apps you have, the courses that you run as well, where if they're feeling afraid to actually go and speak to someone, you're actually still giving them those tools to be able to learn where they are themselves, where they can make up their mind, maybe I do still need to go and speak to Dr. Lillian, you know, so it's a make a time to go and speak to her. But I think what's come across today for me is how much you actually care in what you do to be able to help people become the best versions of themselves. Well, thanks, Tony. I think that that was one of the main reasons I created those extra resources, because I I do recognize that not everyone's going to want to come and see a psychologist or see me, but it's but they might need to. And it's a nice introduction into, you know, what a psychologist actually does and what they're actually like. And, you know, we're not as scary as (laughs) not at all. (laughs) Thank even though, But it is a really, really hard thing. Um, to trust somebody that you don't know with all of your personal issues. So I completely understand the reluctance. And I think it's one of the bravest things that people can do um, is to ask for help uh, in that way. So good on everyone that does actually go and seek help, because I think it's one of one of the best and most effective strategies there is. Absolutely. Lillian, thank you for your time. Thank you. Kofkin Bond Podcast is a product from Kofkin Bond & Co., which we are an authorised representative of Gown Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of the Kofkin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Bond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond and Co. and the hosts of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.